0: Before we get into my review, I did want to give you feedback on two shows I've been watching. There's just so many shows coming out. And just a preview, I will almost certainly be reviewing additional shows here somewhere in this feed. Pachinko on Apple Plus. Tokyo Vice, Michael Mann's rebooting of his Miami Vice or a version of it in Tokyo based on a true story, loosely. Which is coming just this week and I will definitely be covering that. A new Lost... Type riff set in the Midwest. So interesting Western slash lost riff called Outer Range coming this month as well. And probably covering Shining Girls on Apple Plus later this month. And of course, in the main feed, Severance is wrapping up this week. Very exciting. We've picked up many, many new listeners thanks to Severance. And it's been a really great show. If you haven't caught up on that, do catch up on it. It's ending this week and we'll be having that recap. Sona and I, in the next day or two. And within about a week or so, week or two, Better Call Saul is coming back. And Sona and I, probably our favorite show between the two of us. And we're looking very much looking forward to covering that. So that's all to look forward to in the future. Make sure you subscribe so you know when all those episodes become available. Give us a review if you'd like to support the show. Another way to support the show, of course, is to recommend us to your friends and family. So spread the word. And of course, search through our back catalog for content you might also enjoy i'm also a music fan so there's music episodes back there if you do have apple plus there's a great documentary called 1971 the year that music changed everything and ian and i talk about some of our favorite music from that time and we play some music there and review the documentary as well also the new Scream movie has become available recently on paramount plus and if you've watched that we have multiple episodes covering the scream franchise the most recent movie and just the history of Slasher films themselves. And a couple of PSAs related to things that we've covered in the past or in the future. First of all, The Batman is coming to HBO Max next week. And when that does come out, make sure you catch up on my review of that, which is still in the feed, of course. And Better Call Saul, if you have not caught up or if you'd like to rewatch the most recent season before the next season begins, has just become available on Netflix. So if you haven't watched or rewatched, that season of TV I may very well be trying to rewatch that season in anticipation for the premiere of the new season in about 2 weeks so just enough time to rewatch season 5 or catch up on it if you haven't watched it yet it's an excellent excellent season of television and like breaking bad better call Saul has simply gotten better from season to season a remarkable ability that these showrunners have been have been able to do to build on their success season over season a very rare thing and really impressive achievement all right so enjoy the episode and i'll catch you on the flip side
1: i don't care who you are if you're a human being with two eyes and a heart this game this
0: industry makes you feel good
1: what industry sweat socks no show business dr bus i'm going to buy the lakers ah no kidding welcome to sunny los angeles great for tans tell me to win the championship one of these days Shit for fans we are trading in an empire of real estate for what the entire league is on the verge of bankruptcy shut up frank
0: (laughs) so the first thing i'd like to discuss here it's amazing we have such a fortune of new content available it's very hard to decide what to watch and i was on the fence until very recently, as to whether I wanted to recommend this one or not. The show is Winning Time on HBO. Winning Time, The Rise of the Lakers Dynasty. And maybe this is just more appealing to people of a certain age, <laughs> which I am. But I did not grow up in the heyday of the Lakers. I think everybody has a time when you are mostly engaged with culture and sports in general. And that was my preteen to teen years. And for me, that was the time, The Rise of the Bulls, actually, Michael Jordan. And this was after, honestly, I think the first time I was aware of Magic Johnson was with the announcement that he was HIV positive, that shocking announcement at the time. So I missed the rise of the Laker dynasty, that which is being outlined here in this show very entertainingly, I believe. It was the moment when they were passing the baton to the Bulls as the new dynasty of basketball. But What's very interesting in seeing this is it's not really the quality of the show. Honestly, I didn't love... The first episode, directed by Adam McKay with his usual lack of, or I should say his recent lack of any subtlety. If you've seen Don't Look Up this year, you kind of have a feel for this overly energetic style that he's established with his last few films. Although it is put to good use, breaking that fourth wall and directly talking to the audience does allow the creative forces behind the show to let in non-basketball fans into what's happening on screen historically and in the context of the game now i actually like this tone i am not the biggest basketball fan in the world although i do enjoy it especially when i was younger I was a big fan of watching it on tv but i'm not completely ignorant to it either and i think this middle ground works really really well for me once again if you're a die-hard nba fan maybe this doesn't work for you maybe you know these stories and they're not well represented here And if you're completely uninterested in the NBA, maybe a lot of this is going over your head, possibly. But for me, this really works. I I find the characters, and that's the drive here, it's not the construction of the show. The first episode was a little too much Adam McKay style on it. After the second episode, which was, believe it or not, directed by Jonah Hill, very well, by the way, and I really did start to fall for the show. The third episode, ironically, I started to... (laughs) I disliked the episode so much, I almost quit the show. And then the exact same director... Damien Marcano actually directed the fourth episode, which I really liked so much that I was fully back on board with the show. And really with that fourth episode and now the fifth, you're seeing the emergence of Showtime basketball. It is the way that the Lakers changed the pacing, this fast break style that they came up with with their coaching staff. And we're seeing the invention of it here. And not only that, we see that this is the decade or more that leads to the 90s, Jordan and, and the NBA of the contemporary times, where it really became the fastest growing sport in America. It went from being this very staid and expected game where the the tall men, the centers, were just posting up huge numbers and were the stars of the show, to this fast break, completely different paced type of game. And it made the game sexy and profitable and just massively successful for decades to come. And it's emerging here. So it's a very interesting moment in time. It's interesting. It's about LA. It's about these characters, Jerry Buss. And there's so much intersection here. So many weird things happen. There's mob hits and unexpected biking accidents and future celebrity pop singers who show up and intersect with the story of the Lakers at this moment in time. So I find it very entertaining. I think your mileage may vary depending on how interested you are in the sport or your familiarity with this point in time. But for me, I find it very entertaining and I am definitely going to hang in there for the second half of the season. They just wrapped up the fifth episode a solid episode, not as good as the fourth, but still a solid episode. And we're starting to see the dominance that the Lakers are starting to establish here. And that maybe John C. Riley, Re- very entertainingly playing Jerry Buss, maybe this won't be a bust for Jerry Buss after all. Of course we know that it won't be. That was much more questionable at that moment in time.
1: I can't even tell you the amount of rappers that come out here looking forward. Something. <laughs> oh! City of
0: Dreams. Edward. 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 Hello. Whoa. de Secondly, we just are two weeks in now. I believe this is just the second week now. Back from the return of Atlanta. The FX comedy, question mark, comedy? Created by Donald Glover and his brother. And incredibly, this show has been off the air for four years. Had it's, I believe, two seasons so far up until now. And now this is just its third season. They have shot a fourth, so that fourth season should be coming quickly behind this third, and that'll be the final. But amazingly, this show has been gone for four years. Part of it was the success that the cast has just had this incredible success and just keeps getting more and more and more work, so it's very hard to coordinate these folks. And of course, the pandemic created many delays. And just as a side note, later this month, we'll have, with some of the same creative team behind Atlanta, the return of Barry on HBO, the Bill Hader comedy series, which I will definitely be watching as well just yet another thing that's coming this month and amazingly to uh to our tv screens but after being away for four years atlanta came back and incredibly that first episode was shocking <laughs> and honestly as shocking and and good as that first episode is i'm glad that they had a second episode so for those of you who haven't watched it yet the first episode starts off with yet another horror riff this show is full of horror riffs by the way that then pivots into a very strange story that has nothing to do with the cast of Atlanta. And I was wondering, where are they going with this? This is very strange. Then to shockingly, tragically start to reveal itself to be a fictionalized version of a true story, something that's happened just within the past few years that was really shocking uh, when it actually happened and that it's being fictionalized here. And believe it or not, as sad as the circumstances of this fictionalized account are, the real world story is even more tragic. So very strange that they start to show in that space. So luckily they did give us, uh, despite how what a confident and move that is, and also the quality of the episode itself, I was very happy to see them have pretty much a more standard version of the show in episode two, a very entertaining second episode in which we see the guys of and girl, with Zazie Beats in tow as well, are on tour in Europe. And the show does this really impressive thing where we see them touring around different parts of Europe and we see these black characters interacting in very non-black spaces. Europe, this is very which is very homogeneous still, compared to the United States, for example. And there's a lot of comedy here and a lot of subtle commentary as well. Two things I really, really appreciate about Atlanta that I want to call out, and we see them on display in this first episode and second. And the first part is it's flirting with horror, especially in season two. It's not it's not so much with season this season three, except for maybe moments of that first episode. But season two, you could argue every single episode in season two is basically a mini horror movie. And what the show deals with is how contemporary life can basically make you feel oftentimes like you're living inside of a horror movie. Just one example in that second season is when Zazie Beats gets invited. She happens to follow somebody on Instagram. They're saying we're having a party at Drake's house. And her and her friends are like, we're going to go. We're going to hang out. And she thinks this is ridiculous. It's probably not real. But eventually she has nothing else to do. So she, she decides to go. And they meet in a parking lot. And they're all having a good time. And they're drinking. And all of a sudden this van pulls up and says, get in the van. You have to you know, wear these masks or wear these blindfolds so you don't know where you're going. And all of a sudden she starts to think, am I being abducted? What's happening here? And it's like moment where the show starts to slide directly into potentially a horrific situation. Something right out of a horror movie. But of course it turns out to not be the case. And the show regularly toys with this idea that at any moment, life can turn into a horror movie. <laughs> and I think that there is an element where you can argue that the show says, and that's even more so within the Black experience itself. But I do fully do feel that the show has such a universal appeal that I don't think it It, ne- it doesn't racialize all these issues. It makes them universal and then just kind of adds an extra layer, basically heighten everything because of the racial aspects to it. For example, with season three, where they're now in Europe... And they have to exist in these spaces where they're not only American, they're not only maybe of a different class as some of these people, like this billionaire they hang out with in this current episode, episode three. But on top of that, they're also black and they're also rare, the rare black person in a space. And that all adds to the complexity of each one of these circumstances they're in. And I really do appreciate that. It makes me feel like the show will not age badly. It's not about a particular topic. It's not about a particular moment in time. It's about just the human condition. And how race just makes it even more complicated. Technology has already made contemporary life complicated. The class divide, the cultural divides of states and countries, etc. All these things have made life surreal in many ways. And then race is just yet another barrier that needs to be overcome. And this most recent episode, the third episode, not as strong as those first two. But that's okay. (laughs) They're not all going to be off the charts, greatest episodes. Although I do feel, especially considering how long the show's been, been away... There's an expectation that every episode is going to be at the absolute peak of quality. And this third episode had very interesting moments, just some of them like this stealthy billionaire's palace (laughs) hidden in a slummy area of London, very entertaining the way you have a mansion hidden inside of a brownstone in a not so affluent area of the city. And also speaking to this cultural moment where incredibly rich people want to hang out with lower level people like celebrities of all kinds and are literally just throwing money around because they don't know what's going to stick. You know, we live in a world where there's cryptocurrency and NFTs and just every crazy startup idea out there that doesn't even work. will just have money thrown at it. It just means that there's just con men hanging out amongst the rabble in these situations, you know, hanging out with these uh, rich people and nobody knows what's real anymore. And that's something that's brought to light here in this episode. And as dense as that sounds, it's really not. It's actually pretty lighthearted, this episode, despite some of the darker moments, especially where someone's getting a, uh, you know, being like internet canceled in real life (laughs) for something they did not actually do, which is pretty shocking and a crazy moment in the show as well. So basically this means it's a wild ride. It's a very strange show If you've never watched it before, really watch it from the beginning because it eases you in with a pretty straightforward comedy sitcom kind of situation. And as it kind of become whatever it wants to be from week to week, it can really be anything it wants to be. So you really have to meet it on its own terms. But if you are already a fan of Atlanta, just a reminder that it's back and it's just as good as it's always been. And one more recommendation, by the way. I have recommended in this feed previously another FX show called Reservation Dogs about some Native American kids growing up on a reservation which in many ways reminds me of Atlanta it's a show that seems on its surface to be very straightforward but yet it's very 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 specific it's very funny and then when you least expect it it really knocks you over the head emotionally and uh, if you haven't watched that then definitely catch up with that it's coming back for a second season did not perform that well when it first played but got a lot of critical support and I think over time it has been picking up an audience so if you haven't seen that one Definitely check that out, too. If you are a fan of Atlanta, I do think you'll like Reservation Dogs. Very, very different show, but has a lot of the features I like in it. A very specific cultural milieu, but using that to tell a very universal story. Very universal in its specificity, in both cases. So that's another thing I've been watching, and another thing that I've been enjoying, and it will be on probably next couple months at least, with a final season shortly follow so probably maybe even before the end of the year so with all that out of the way here is my recap review of episode 2 of Moon Knight and check this feed later because if you're catching it early you're going to hear just my recap and review if you're catching this later you'll have my conversation with Nick immediately following that where we will discuss both episode 1 and episode 2 and no wonder you that scales don't balance it
1: must be very difficult having all those voices inside one hit. Stephen Grant. Mm-hmm. Mark Spector. Can't you? I'm curious, do you think that you chose you as his avatar because your mind would be so easy to break or because it was broken already? No. Not broken. Just need some help, maybe. That's right, that's why I'm here. To help. Okay, what is it? you see him? You see him right now? That's a privilege I no longer have. Kill him! What's he saying? <laughs> is he telling you to kill me? Make his windpipe! Yeah. 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 Well, just remember, you don't have to do everything he asks.
0: <laughs> so before you get excited and put on the cape, I'd love to take this opportunity to show you around. So episode two of Moon Knight called Summon the Suit. So this episode credited to being directed by Justin Benson and Aaron Moorhead. And I do want to spend a few minutes talking about these filmmakers. So a couple things. Marvel has been so happy, apparently, with the work that these filmmakers provided that they have given them season two of Loki to do next. Something I am very much looking forward to, season two of Loki, which I think has been the strongest of all of these Marvel TV shows. And do track down my coverage of Loki, In this same feed, the entire season is available there, plus a season wrap-up with Ray and Nick, who's a contributor here on these these Moon Knight episodes as well. And I did want to spend some time speaking about Benson and Moorhead, as they're known. They've had a very interesting career. Back in 2012, actually 10 years ago now, they made a very low-budget film called Resolution. Very interesting film that is actually an intervention film. It's about a friend who is drug-addled and how another friend comes to this cabin in the woods to help him... To, to go clean, basically for a weekend or, or longer. And what's so fascinating about this incredibly low-budget film is how they used the constraints of this low-budget to make something really interesting. And not only that, but how this mythology, the mythology that's established in that first film actually plays itself through all of their subsequent films. So their second film is probably their best. It's called Spring. It's available on Amazon Prime. I highly recommend this one. And it's interestingly a mix of a beautiful log with a lot of walking and talking. It feels very much like the before, speaking of Ethan Hawke, by the way, the Before Sunrise, Sunset, Midnight trilogy. A romance in this very idyllic location and mixed with supernatural elements. A monster movie, basically. And really, I think maybe the most well-regarded and for me, definitely their, my favorite of their films. In 2017, they had their, probably their biggest breakout where they themselves star as brothers in a film called the endless which is still available on netflix and was a huge success for them on netflix which started a relationship they have with that streaming provider which led to their follow-up film synchronic which i think is probably their worst film but it's probably their highest profile because it stars anthony mackie and jamie dornan so with real stars in it but still not their strongest film and they've continued that relationship with netflix they directed some of archive 81 this year which was Very successful, but has not been renewed for a second season, strangely. And a film that has gotten rave reviews on the festival circuit so far this year. Another film starring the two of them called Something in the Dirt. And that's actually coming just within the next month or so. But do track those down between Netflix and Amazon Prime. I think you can watch all those films. And I'll include uh, links to them in the show notes if you guys are curious to catch up on them. But what's really fascinating about these guys, these friends that have been friends for many years and collaborators, is that they have been able to build a uh, universe of characters on their own, whole cloth. They've created a mythology on very low budgets. And not only that Marvel's bringing them in as part of their brain trust for the Loki shows, but there is a rumor that Moon Knight is going to have its own branched universe, if this show is successful, of these secondary Marvel characters. And it's possible that they want to use Benson and Morehouse's skill at building these intertwine narratives into a larger whole, something that Marvel obviously loves to do, and potentially handle, handing them a part of the MCU. So all that remains to be seen, but I personally, as an aspiring filmmaker at one point in my life, find their uh, careers pretty inspirational. And I do think that the direction's a little bit better here. It very much feels like it's within the MCU, this kind of assembly line they have. Once they establish a certain style, and so much of this is probably pre-visualized and pre-thought out, the sets are probably built, there's a a large collection of creatives that are designing these stories and these worlds, and I assume these filmmakers have relatively limited control over how they can improvise within that stricture, and some do better than, than others, so it really does feel very much like a whole uh, of the same cloth as the first uh, episode. Definitely a little more action-packed, but maybe not as satisfying for me, personally, for the fact that I think I miss the fractured narrative which I find very compelling in the first episode pretty much excised here for the purposes of allowing Mark and Stephen to speak and that's where we land towards the end of the episode and I'll break down the whole episode now but I think that's where I feel more optimistic about the direction of the show in short I want this thing to become a more supernatural there's already supernatural elements to Raiders of the Lost Ark I would hope this would be an even more supernatural Raiders of the Lost Ark and I do think we are moving in that direction here at the end of this episode. Overall, I thought this episode was a little uneven, but I do like where it lands. So as the episode begins, we see that Stephen is in his apartment. He wakes up. He immediately springs out of bed. Of course, the sand is not disturbed because Mark does a good job of covering things up. And he's still chained to that post. <laughs> it's a pretty comedic, actually, how he stumbles out of bed. But the jig is up. Stephen knows what's up. I don't even know why Mark is still <laughs> trying to keep up this facade. When Stephen shows up for work... Of course, the bathroom has been destroyed, and on the camera, we do find out something interesting here, that he's the only one who can see these demons, these jackals, and I assume we would have seen him in the suit, because it does look like his wife, and this is kind of a jumping ahead a bit, but it does seem like other folks can see him in the suit, but they cannot see these jackals, which do not appear on the security cameras, so he just looks like a crazy person destroying the bathroom, (laughs) and I guess there's no cameras, as you would expect, inside the bathroom to see him in his suit. He conveniently does transform in and out of the suit within the bathroom itself. Maybe Mark's smart enough to know that. Doesn't want to be caught on camera in those in that suit. When he sees a security camera, he recognizes that that's not him. His body's currently possessed by Mark Spector, his other persona. He does get fired, though. And they want him to go into observation for for his mental condition, obviously. He does find a key in his pocket. And by scouring the London, I guess, going to different storage locations he does find a security guard who does recognize him and he finds his locker which has a bunk for him to sleep in you assume this is the staging area for his uh mark specter persona he's got passports he's got money lots of money in all different currencies and denominations and he finds the scarab he finds a scarab in one of the bags the scarab seems to behave like a compass once he starts messing with the scarab this is where mark starts to confront him once again in reflections this is how they're communicating And Mark tries to explain to him that if he can just give him control of his body, that he can make things better. And he promises to get Stephen's life back in order. Stephen basically says, I don't trust you. I'm not giving you control of my body. Stephen does mention to him or explain to him that he is the avatar for Khonshu. That that's the other voice that he's hearing in his mind. And as Stephen knows his Egyptian mythology, he knows who Khonshu is. And this is where something supernatural starts to haunt him here within the storage facility. But this is not another demonic jackal. It's Conchu again, overseeing what's happening here between the two of them. Not very happy, as we find out later. And as he runs out the door, he runs into Lila, the voice on the phone, who's trying to contact him. Turns out that she's been tracking him on his phone, now that it's been reactivated. And it turns out she's his wife, or Mark's wife, anyway. Stephen takes her back to his apartment. Turns out they have the same favorite French poet. So they have a lot in common here, actually. But ironically, most of her commonality is probably with this Stephen persona but yet she's married to Mark, who's a mercenary. He also finds out here that she's trying to divorce him, and he gives her the scarab. He thinks the police have arrived to take him to, to this mental facility for observation. And at this moment, we actually believe that as well. Layla disappears. Did I call her Lila before? I say like Layla. But it turns out that he is not being taken to the hospital. These are actually either they're real police that are working for Harrow, Ethan Hawke's character, or they're pretending to be police officers. This is where Harrow gives him a big information dump. They're in this regentrified part of the city where we see a pretty idyllic community being built. And Harrow lays out here the stakes of the moment. Amit needs to be resuscitated. Her location, this god goddess, is somewhere in the desert. They need the scarab, like a compass, to locate her. And we find out many other things here as well. We find out, for example, that Harrow was the previous avatar to Khonshu. So he knows exactly what's happening inside of Stephen's mind. Stephen at first seems to be being seduced by this this story, but then he does turn things around on Harrow, mentioning Harrow basically believes that the problem with Kanshu is that vengeance comes only after the evil act has occurred, whereas Ahmet promises to pass judgment on someone's totality of their lives before they've committed any crimes. To which Stephen retorts that this means we're killing children? Do we kill people just because they're going to do something potentially in 30 years? I draw my I draw the line there. If this is your last mission, then you'll be free. Trust me when I tell you Kancho is a liar. There's always one last
1: thing. Sorry, if Amit judges people pre-evil, like before the fact, then isn't she judging an innocent person? I mean, a thought can't be evil, can it? I think about killing my boss all the time, but I wouldn't actually do it. Stephen. What about a child? Would she kill a child for something they might do in 30 years? I'm glad you mentioned that. Sometimes the cure is a little taste of the disease. The difference between medicine and poison sometimes is only dosage.
0: So amputation may be gr- grotesque, but it's sometimes necessary to cure the disease. And they're simply amputating all the evildoers, even if they haven't committed those evil acts yet. So this is a interesting moral quandary. It's the old would-you-kill-Hitler-in-his-crib to prevent the Holocaust. The tension starts to build here as the conversation escalates. And Layla is there now with the scarab. And they try to make an escape up some scaffolding, some stairs. This is a beautiful location, by the way. I'm not sure if this is an actual location. We've already learned previously that there is some of Ammit's magic in this staff. It's like a purple stone somewhere within it. Maybe this is going to tie into some future... I'm sure it will tie into some future marvel mythology and he uses it to summon another jackal and that's where we get the title this is the moment where they're cornered Layla and steven the jackal's pounding at the door and we get the title of the episode here Layla says summon the suit she once again cannot see the jackal and as the jackal breaks through the doors and attacks and tosses him through the window he starts yelling out suit suit and we get a very funny we got a different form of moon knight here in a fancy british suit <laughs> i'm sure this is an easter egg for fans of the comic this is probably a different form he takes but mark does comment when he sees him in the reflection on this new version of himself <laughs> this is not not the best uh, uniform for for fighting and not the uh, iconic looking version of moon knight we saw briefly last episode he does not relinquish the body but he does land a few punches on the jackal but when he sees that the jackal may potentially be hurting people in the street just innocent bystanders he does surrender power over to mark Mark takes over his body and takes the form, the more traditional form of Moonlight that we've seen, gets the jackal's attention, and they start to have a rooftop chase through London. He ends up impaling the creature on top of some statue, but in this ruckus, he has lost the scarab, which Harrow has found. Layla sees this, but there's nothing she can do. She drives away on her motorcycle, moped, I'm not sure what she's riding. And then we have maybe the strongest sequence in the episode here near the end. We're another mirror conversation between Stephen and Mark. And Mark basically tells Stephen that he is not giving up the body, not until he's finished paying back his debt.
1: Sorry. We've always managed to keep a wall between us, but something's changed. The one who controls the body's become stronger. The reflections help, but most of the time it'll take all your willpower just to be a fly on the wall. You can't do this. Keeping me trapped in here, you have no right. My whole life, I can't go on a bloody date. I can barely keep a goldfish alive. I lost my job. It's been you, it's always been you, eating away parts of my life like a parasite. When I am done, when I have repaid my debt, I swear to you, never see or hear from me again. I promise you, we wouldn't be alive if we got you. And my servitude is the price that I pay. What kind of servitude? The kind that leaves me covered in blood. Yeah, well, that blood is on my hands. You ruin people's lives. Everything you touch, you ruin. You hurt people.
0: You abandoned your wife. You left her stranded. I did not. I am protecting her. You don't know what you're talking about. Yes, you did. I saw. I saw. Guan has his eyes on her. He wants her as my replacement, and I'm never going to let that happen. You hear me? You I don't Stephen, believe you. Don't you. Know I don't trust anything about. you say.
1: You hurt I'm people. Never him I'm never going to let you hurt Just anyone up, else up. ever again. You Steven, you shut, up. Shut, up. Steven, ah! shut up. Just shut up. Ah! Stop ah!
0: He doesn't want to hear any of this. And he keeps telling himself, or legitimately, I I presume, that he's trying to protect Layla. Khonshu has threatened to take Layla as his next avatar. So he does have this pact he has with Khonshu, and he may really fear the power that Arthur Harrow would wield if Ahmet is resurrected, and the whole world has to face that same level of judgment. But he also has the personal stakes of trying to protect Layla, his wife, from this same fate and this is not a subtle show by the way we basically have everything that gets said between the two of them reiterated by Kanchu just a minute minute later Kanchu does promise to protect him with everything he has and i guess he has to because this is his current avatar in the world and Mark does want Kanchu to promise that he will then promise to let him go although i'm not sure how trustworthy this <laughs> this god is this strange desiccated bird skeleton And once again, just explicitly threatens that Layla would be the next avatar. And then we have this beautiful shot, which I think is just CGI, but there was real shooting in Egypt. So I'm pretty certain we're going to see beautiful Egyptian locales in the next episode. But we just get a little preview of it here. Mark or Stephen, not sure who this is at this moment, awakens. I'm pretty sure it's still Mark in control of the body, by the way. Looking at his reflection, probably looking at Stephen. And he is awoken in this place. He's drunk. And when he opens the curtains, we see the Pyramids of Egypt. And I'm sure that everybody now is on the hunt, very Indiana Jones-ish at this moment, on the hunt for Ammit's burial locale. And I do hope to see a very Indiana Jones-esque adventure next week, which I would very much love to see in comparison to all of this setup that we've seen in these first two episodes. Okay, so that's the breakdown. I still have all the same concerns I had last week. I'm warming a little bit to the Steven character compared to how irritating I found that accent last week. I also have warmed to Kanchu's voice here. It's not as goofy when they're actually having conversations compared to just that booming voice out of nowhere that we saw in the previous episode. So all that is to say that everything that I found an issue last week is still present here, just a little less, let's say. And I do like this setup for what could be more traditional action adventure. And it really depends on execution to see how that goes next week. And in the upcoming weeks, I do feel like we have spent two of these six episodes, there's only six episodes, just setting things up. And I feel like this setup has been a little inelegant and reiterating some of the same points in this episode that we saw the first episode, rather than moving things significantly forward. And I would like to see more Moon Knight being not just like punching a jackal, but doing more of the Batman type stuff. Just, you know, I guess I'll just start teasing it now, but this Moon Knight character is a vigilante. In the mold of Batman, and maybe once again, just me with my expectations, I kind of expected this show to be more about that vigilante character with sprinkling in this supernatural mythology, so that maybe we would culminate with some moment of in the desert where all the supernatural forces are at play. And I feel we have just jumped directly into the st- into the deep end, and we've kind of skipped the whole Batman-esque character that. You know, theoretically, hopefully, whether it's Daredevil or Batman, this kind of vigilante, tough guy character, and then bring in the supernatural elements, which is my preference. But I'm still open to being, (laughs) to, to, to having my expectations reversed, because honestly, I was a little confused by how strange everything went with Loki, for example. Immediately, we're jumping directly into this brand new mythology of this multiverse and these time cops. And I ended up loving that show completely. So I still am open to it. <laughs> I am just simply a little wary <laughs> of what I've seen so far. But I do like elements of this uh, and the things that annoyed me the first time annoy me a little less this time and it speaks to what I felt last week that maybe this was a show that would have benefit, benefited from having two episodes premiere right away to kind of introduce us more fully into this world. All right, so that's my hot take. And let me know what you guys are feeling about this. Are you enjoying this more than I am? Or are you skeptical like I am? And I am also very curious to see what Nick thinks of this. And if you're hearing the full episode, you're going to hear his reaction right now to episodes one and two. And if you're not listening to the full episode, then do check back tomorrow. I'm posting this on Wednesday. So do check back on Thursday for our full reaction and review. Talk to you soon. So I actually reviewed this in the podcast episode I dropped this week when I was doing the recap of Moon Knight, but I'll recommend it to you. I'm not a huge NBA fan, but back in the day, you know, I grew up in the time of, you know, Jordan and uh, the whole Bulls dynasty. And there's a show on HBO, I think I mentioned this to you maybe earlier, called Winning Time, the Rise of the Lakers dynasty. Have you heard yes, of show?
1: Yes. Yes.
0: And I've been watching it, they're halfway through the season now, and it's been very uneven from a quality of show standpoint. It's been very uneven, but I find it so entertaining to watch because you're seeing the emergence of that fast break type of basketball, the Showtime basketball. And I really like that, especially now that they're starting to play that kind of basketball. It's very exciting to just see these guys finally clicking. And I also just find it—I I personally, just from a historical standpoint—I really like when you see a histor- historical story where it's not like the traditional: the great guy has an idea, and then everything, you know, comes to fruition, like it was always supposed to be. Jerry Buss, you know, sells the Chrysler Building to buy the Lakers. They're bankrupt. He's losing everything. He's a total screw up. Um, you know, it's like one accident after another. And somehow this all comes together almost accidentally. And I really like that, this idea that like, you know, life is messy, (laughs) history is messy. It's a lot of fun. And like I said, I'm only halfway through and they're just starting their season finally. But they're, you know, setting the NBA on fire. And, you know, this is going to be the beginning of that whole era of basketball. So just the nostalgia for that time period is kind of fun.
1: Yeah, that no, I'll definitely check that out. Um, I'd heard about it, no, but I'll, I'll go on your recommendation for sure and and, <laughs> yeah. and, uh, and check it out. I mean, you got me into Severance, so uh, I trust your I trust your opinion.
0: <laughs> oh wait, they just had the finale last night. Holy cow! Wait till you see the ending. What a shocker that is. You, you, oh, you're you're I, in for a ride on that one for sure.
1: I'm looking forward to it. I'm only yeah, I only finished uh, episode three. was the last one I got through, and uh, you know it's it's pretty it's pretty crazy. And it's pretty slow.
0: It's pretty slow at start and wait till you see where it ends up. You won't believe it. It turns into like a straight up thriller by the end. It's like really fun stuff. Nice. So what did you think? You've seen both episodes, right? Of Moon Knight? How do you feel about it? I, I was curious to have this conversation with you because I know, and I'm kind of in the same camp with you, that I like... The stories when they're a little more grounded, and they're throwing us right into the deep end with this one. So, what did you think about these two episodes? I,
1: I like it. It's you know, and I'm kind of surprised that I do because uh, I, I like the more grounded Marvel Cinematic Universe entries. Although I did like Guardians of the Galaxy and how grounded is <laughs> right, that? But exactly. but in terms of you know everything going on with the multiverse and all, I I kind of like this. I I like this uh, show so far because it's sort of. A story into itself yep. it's 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 somewhat grounded in that you're just dealing with um you know Stephen and Mark or you know the same <laughs> whoever the, whoever this guy is it's definitely new in terms of you know what what the mcu is trying to do but in terms of the story I kind of like it because it's a story into onto itself and I'm curious to see where it goes I like the characters the acting's incredible yeah. the acting's been great. And uh, so far, I enjoy the storyline. You know, I just I like I, I, I'm curious to see where this is going in terms of, you know, what what they're trying to accomplish or prevent from happening. Um, Ethan Hawke's character, you know, obviously is very interesting as well. You know, that was a little bit of a curveball that he said he was uh, he was the avatar for Khonshu. Uh, I forget his name. Like, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah.
0: And uh, I thought that was interesting. Did not see that coming. Actually, and they no. they just kind of throw it out there, like very subtly. I'm like, whoa! What, did I just hear that? Wow! It's a big, exactly. that's a big reveal. It's been mm-hmm. a very
1: interesting show so far. I've enjoyed it, and uh, like I said, I was kind of surprised. I'm surprised in myself that I like it because it is out there. But at the same time, you're not dealing with all this multi-multiversal mm-hmm. aspect of the MCU. You're just dealing right. with a you know with a straight storyline so far. You know, you have this guy. He's possessed by some god, and he's trying to figure out his life and Figure out how to get out of this mess, and I and I, I dig where they're going with it so far.
0: Yeah, the analogy I made with it was that I'm a little skeptical on it so far, but to your point, that uh, I'm open to it for the fact that there are things I do like about it. But also, uh, you know, I have my version of the show that I'd like to see, and I know you have a friend you mentioned that who's a screenwriter. So I'm always in my head, always breaking story like the, how would I write this? So sometimes my expectations get in the way of just kind yeah. of watching the show. Thing i thought was interesting is that when i watched the loki show i'm like man they're throwing us into the real deep end like right away and i ended up loving that show so yeah. it, it's not to say that you know my skepticism won't come around at the end but you know once again especially because i am a fan of horror i kind of pictured this uh, you know i'm picturing this show as imagine this guy he's you know, has this, he's losing time. He's hearing these voices in his head. He doesn't trust his own perceptions. And like little by little, we introduce this mythology. So in my mind, that's kind of how he's expecting the show to go. And instead there's there's no ambiguity as to whether he's crazy or not. You know, we've seen like Ethan Hawke has this supernatural staff and, you know, they're seeing things and, and not only are they seeing things, I mean, people see him in the Moon Knight outfit, right? Like his, his wife. Yeah. So I'm like, well, <laughs> there's no ambiguity about this. This is actually happening. So, so that's, you know, like I, maybe my expectation, were a little bit different, but on its own terms, I'm starting to vibe with it more on this episode. And I'm really hoping, especially after we see that last shot of this show, maybe we're going into like a little bit, I'm hoping for Indiana Jones, but even if we get like mummy stuff, (laughs) if we're in the mummy arena, that's pretty fun anyway, right? So, Yep,
1: absolutely. You know, the interesting thing about the show too is um, as it was going on and- the Mark character—he's the one with the passport, right? And I'm thinking yeah. that he's actually the real person, and mm-hmm. he created the Stephen persona to sort of forget what he did. Right. And he created the the meek Stephen character, and we were sort of introduced to this character in the opposite direction. Uh, you know, whatever happened to Mark uh, initially, or before the show started, uh, and and he became indebted to the God that caused him and forced him to create this new persona, the Meek Steven.
0: Yeah, I don't know how they're gonna address it in the next episode, and I'm guessing, probably in the next episode, we're gonna get that origin story. But in the comics, uh, and I won't spoil the whole origin story so we can be, you know, if you're not a comic fan, I I know you're not, but I mean, the audience in general, they can uh, see it on their own. But in the comics, and I don't consider this a spoiler because Marvel rewrites these things anyway, uh, vaguely, I think you're right. The Mark Spector character is the primary character. He is a mercenary. That's his, you know, what he's doing originally. Uh, And then he has these splintered personas. And I think because there are different versions of this in the comic books as well. I think that he has suffered with uh, these multiple personalities throughout his life. You're right that Mark is his passport, his birth certificate identity, but Steven is one of these additional personalities he has. And like you said, something has probably happened and he has kind of uh, surrendered over to Steven so Stephen can like live a regular life while he's kind of in the background. But but I think he is the primary um, uh, persona.
1: And this threw me for a little bit of a loop in that He's also trying to prevent the God from possessing his wife. And that's right. the other motivation. Right. Yep. So it's like, wow, is this God like really, uh, you know, yeah, obviously, you know, he's like, uh, his, the Moon Knight is a superhero. But, you know, what are the motivations of the God that's possessing him? Is, he, is that God actually benevolent or right. is it uh, not? And uh, so there's some gray area, which which is kind of cool because that's what, you know, that's
0: what the MCU does. That's actually an open question, by the way, in the comic as to whether he trusts this god at all, whether he's a, a good guy or a bad guy. Moon Knight in general in the comic is basically just a vigilante. So he's basically uh, roughly correlates to Batman. Uh, you know, yeah. it's their version of Batman with this supernatural element to it. But what's interesting about having that supernatural element is that... Uh, Conshu is really pretty much just in it for himself, but just like Batman is maybe not always a good guy, the yeah. same question remains here in the comic. Not only that, Mark's not always a good guy, but are his underlying motivations of this, you know, his this person he serves or this deity he serves, are they really good as well? So that's the question, and that's what I think is interesting here that they're exploring already early on. Is uh, you know, on the, on the surface, we're thinking, well, Amit. Seems to be you know very rigid <laughs> in, in who's good and who's bad. Uh, so you might end up with an ideal world at the end, but how many people, you know, how many lives will that cost? And we've kind of seen something similar to that with Thanos's plan in uh, in in the, in the Marvel universe as well. Yep. Whether Khonshu is a good guy or a bad guy, if he can defeat Amit, maybe we have to be on his side. You know, and maybe that's the the compromise that's being made throughout the show. So
1: it's like very much like. Uh- Uh, You know, a lot of vibes on uh, like Minority Report, you know, where, you know, you're, you're getting sentenced before you've committed the crime and it goes down to that whole free will thing, you know, is there any free will? And so it's interesting. It's, it's definitely going to be a wild ride, I think, to see where they go with this. I think my
0: favorite aspect of it right now is the Ethan Hawke character. And as much as I like Oscar Isaac in general. I have not loved his Steven character. The accent is a little you know, a, li- a little annoying to me, a little annoying. But uh, maybe, you know, in a way, maybe that works best because people are saying, like, what's up with that ridiculous accent? I'm like, yeah, what is up with that ridiculous accent? So maybe it works in his favor in that way.
1: Yeah, no, Ethan, I, I've, uh, the Ethan Hall character is great. I've, I've, uh, he's, he's an incredible actor, obviously, yeah. but, uh, you know, it's very, uh, very stoic. Very, you know, very methodical, very convincing too. you know, even that scene where he sat him down and he gave him, he gave him the lentil soup and he's talking yeah. to him about, this is what we're doing and this is what we're trying to accomplish. And it was great because you're sitting there and you're like, oh, maybe he's not so bad. Yeah, you know, exactly. and then he, and then he kills the, the homeless guy who found the, uh it's like, <laughs> right. oh, okay.
0: He's yeah. That's actually guy. one thing that I always like in, uh, you know, any, not only a comic book movie, but any action movie in general, like even some of the James Bond films is when you sympathize with the villain, the supposed villain, when you're kind of, you see their point of view, it's like, okay, I can, you know, I think that that's always the scariest villain where it's like, you can almost see yourself on their side. It's like, like Warmonger in uh, Black Panther. I think is such a great character yep. because it's like, well, he does have a point. <laughs> you yep. know, so and that, It makes it more sympathetic, right? And uh, you
1: know, uh, very much like Kang also in uh, The End of Loki.
0: Yes, when he's, ex- when he's
1: Explaining yeah. the whole thing like that was that that character was terrifying yeah. because right. you're sitting there and you're like he's probably telling the truth. Although you know right. we we talked about this a few uh, set you know times ago when we when we talked uh, about Loki, you know whether or not he was telling the entire truth is remains to be right. seen. But right. nevertheless, when he was explaining the whole uh, you know reason for his being there and 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 TVA, you're sitting there and you're like, wow, this is, this, is, this is terrifying because of, you know, the possibility of it being true. And same with Ethan Hawke's character in Moon Knight right. in terms of just how he's explaining, you know, why he's doing the things he's doing. And, and you know, he's very um, beholden to his right. ideals. And that's what makes him a terrifying character because there's really no reasoning with him. If he's going to be killing people for Amit, he's going to be impossible to
0: convince to go the other way. He's, he's the most well informed of all these folks, basically, right? He's like, I've been there. I was, Kanshu possessed me too. And now I'm with Amit, right? So the point is that not only can you not convince him because he's already walked in everybody's shoes in the show. Ironically, he's walking in shoes at the beginning with and putting glass in his shoes, right? But, um, you know, he's not only has he kind of walked the walk uh, throughout this entire show, he's also like, he knows everything that's going on. Everyone else is trying to catch up to him. <laughs> and it's just like, well, if he's on, you know, Amit's side, then like you said, said sometimes it does make you worry same thing with kang where you're thinking in that moment by the way not going all the way back to the loki show when they have that conversation with kang you're like well maybe kang's right like i don't want kang to be right but maybe kang is right you know so yep. you know he's the one who's lived a, a million lifetimes so you know we should we second guess him at this point exactly so i am uh, curious to see where it goes from there
1: yeah likewise he's uh i guess you know he woke up in egypt and yeah well, you know I, I think you're right though I think we are going to get backstory in this next yes. uh, in I this next, next episode yeah. which will be good because it'll you know it'll things will start to make a little bit of sense but from what i what I gleaned from when stephen was taken by the fake police officers it's, it seems like mark was part of some sort of military group that was trying to I think rob some archaeological, Dig or something like that, and and something happened. Something transpired there, and that's how he ended up becoming possessed.
0: Yeah, I, I honestly don't which know which direction they're going to go with the actual origin story. There's so many different versions of this origin in the comics, but in general, he is almost killed, betrayed by somebody normally, but that may not be the case in this origin. He almost dies. He's in Egypt, and uh, he gets rescued by somebody who basically places him in front of this statue of Khonshu, and then Khonshu basically. Saves his life, and like I mentioned before, in the comics, there's actually some versions of the storyline where it's ambiguous as to whether he really is supernatural or not. Like, is he just crazy <laughs> and he thinks he's supernatural because he's you know survived this thing? There's no ambiguity in this version of the show, and I mean, just the MCU in general. I don't think they're at a place yet where they're not they're not that vague with the with their storylines yet. They're going with the straight up superheroes and superpowers and, you know, yeah. and I guess that wouldn't fit in either, right? If he was just like some crazy guy, if he was just Batman, for example, right? Which uh, now here's a whole digression here on Batman, but I found it so funny when I watched Justice League, I did not watch the directors cut, I tried to, but I couldn't get through it. And and I hated that original version, and I'm like, well, I hated it, so I'm like, okay, I hear this one's better. I'm gonna give it a shot. And I start watching it, <laughs> and I'm like, it's not that different, and it's twice as long, so I got I got to turn it off. But I did find a very funny when I watched that that you're like you have Wonder Woman, like literally can leap a mile yeah. away. She has her lasso. She's you know basically impervious. Uh, she's lived centuries. You have Superman, obviously you have the flash, you can like turn back time at the end when they're trying to save like a whole entire country and everybody's saving, like I'm going to save these 10,000 guys, I'm going to save that 10,000 guys and uh, you have Batman He's just like I'm going to get in my jet and try to distract these guys for five minutes and then of course they immediately like blow up his Bat copter and, and crash it, <laughs> and it's just like he's completely useless. I'm like, Yeah, Batman is just useless in this world, you know. So that's yeah. pretty
1: funny. I, I made it through the director's cut, which I honestly can't believe that I did. Because the funny thing is, growing up, I love DC, you know, the super friends and all that stuff. Right. But man, I can't watch any of these movies. But somehow, I got through that director's cut. I will say it was better than. The original one, which which isn't hard, you know, it's not a huge yes. bar to <laughs> <Not> <laughs> to hard. beat. Exactly. But the ending is tremendously different in yeah. the director's cut than in the original.
0: I've seen that ending that which they yeah. which is all new. They shot all of that new for the for this um yeah uh, version of it. And I did see that because I wanted to see that. But once again, I, you know, I I hated it because it's beautiful, right? It's really well designed, which is in general what Zack Snyder does. His visuals are great, but I just, once again, it's doubling down on this thing that Batman, I mean, Batman, Superman is an evil person. Superman must be destroyed or he's going to kill everybody. And then we have this future vision where it's like, that's right. Lois Lane died and he's lost it and he's now going to kill everybody on earth. And I'm just like, yeah, that's, that's the, we just keep doubling down on that story. I I don't want to see that story. I'm totally uninterested in it
1: completely agree completely agree i uh it's it doesn't make any sense superman <laughs> come on it's He's superman. Superman.
0: He's superman superman
1: doesn't do that i don't know what character would do that but it's not superman i can tell you that you haven't seen the batman have you seen the batman i haven't i haven't seen that yet um i'll i'll, I'll probably wait i mean i'm kind of like uh you know i i like the christian bell trilogy i got out of it a little bit because it just you know the 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 whole <laughs> whole Ben Affleck, terrible DCU, yeah. it's just like, I'm like, oh man, I'm, I'm off of, uh, I'm off of DC comics right now, but uh, I'll eventually see it because I did hear it's excellent. Um, it's on HBO this week. So it's oh, it uh, is. Oh, coming, ne-
0: I should say next week, next week it's coming to HBO. So I would yeah, definitely so recommend it. it. Yeah. And it, it looks, uh, I mean, I have issues with this representation of Batman in general. Although I think Batman has been, there's been so many versions of Batman, even the comics that it's, I don't really have an issue with it. But it's like a reboot, so it doesn't really conflict with anything that's come before. Just There's so many incredible visuals in it. And for me, just from a design standpoint, I think it's just so beautiful. There's this one sequence where... He's like, well, you see it in the trailers, actually. They give away so much in the trailers, but he's beating up these guys in the hallway and their machine guns are going off. And the entire sequence is lit just with the machine gun fire. And it's just incredible. These, like, really cool, oh, cool. decisions that are made in, in the design of the film. But uh, yeah, it's worth it just for that. It's very dark. It's not for kids. It's like so dark. It's incredible. Wow. <laughs> I'm like, how dark can you go with these films? I mean, it's basically, it literally is a Christopher Nolan esque mm-hmm. story. Mixed with Seven, there literally is a serial killer who's like leaving clues behind and leaving oh, messages wow. and and taunting Batman in the investigation. And like you would say, you'd be like, wow, you wouldn't have a movie like Seven uh, or Saw <laughs> as a kid's movie. And I'm like, it's not a kid's movie at all. <laughs> so it's uh, incredibly dark, but uh, but it is beautiful actually in its own way.
1: My favorite Batman movies still are, you know, I, I like the original My, Michael Keaton one with yep, uh, Jack Nicholson. I mean, that's that's you know yeah. awesome. And I enjoyed the Christian Vale trilogy, although the third one wasn't great. With yeah, it. not, great. not <laughs> uh, great. But but obviously the the second one, the Dark Knight. Yeah, I mean, the best Heath Ledger. That's probably the you know best Batman movie that's been made. And granted, I haven't seen this one, but you know that that one's really going to be tough to top. I, that was just on the other night too. It was on yeah. uh, one of the. One of the cable channels, HBO showed showtime him, it was just, you know, if I see it on, I just start watching it. And that's, it's frightening, still man. still the best, man. still the best. Yeah, it's the frightening movie, just the yeah, way is, the man. way Heath Ledger played it. It's yeah. unbelievable.
0: Speaking of a sympathetic character, that's the same type of situation where he's not sympathetic at all, but he's logical, right? Like, you, you, you see his reasoning, and once yeah. again, that's why he's appealing, because you see his reasoning, he's like, well, once again, a lot of times... He's not the one who's in the wrong yeah, in his rationalizations, yeah. right? So it's, that's what makes him even more dangerous, right?
1: I love when you, you get shows like this, you know, just like, you know, Moon, you know, again, we're going to see where Moon Knight goes, but similar to something like Game of Thrones, where yeah. the characters that were originally bad, you know, quote unquote bad yeah. guys turned out to be not so bad, you know, Jamie right. Lannister, you know, pushes Bran out of the tower in the first episode, and you're like, well, we know who the bad guy is. And then right three seasons later, you're like pulling for Jamie Lannister, you know, right. he, every you like them, you know, right, and right. it's just, uh, I think that's what makes a compelling show because it's not black and white. It's, you know, there's a lot of gray area and, uh, and that's what, that's what um, I think is going to make this show good. And, and, you know, looking back at it, you know, when, when we talk about the MCU, I mean, most of the uh, movies that we've agreed on in terms of the ones that we like the best, those those movies are you know have those characters that are not necessarily black and white but they're right. there's someone in a gray area and those are the types uh, those are the movies that at least i've liked in the MCU the best um, granted, you know Thanos was bad, but he did ever he did have a rationale, <laughs> right? Exactly. <laughs> you yep. know behind what he was doing in Infinity War and Endgame. Yeah,
0: an example of that I think is before the finale of the Marvel films, the the last two Avengers films. I think my previous favorite to that was Captain America: Civil War, and not only because I love to this day I love that whole fight sequence in yep. the uh, you know on the at the airport. But beyond that, it's uh, the fact that, you know, they're fighting against each other because they both are right in their own way. And I find that really interesting, right? Where you're fighting not because there's a good guy and a bad guy, but because there's a disagreement. And the last thing I like about that so much is also the fight at the end between Tony and uh, Captain is so great because the stakes are, you know, compared to pre, I've complained so many times that it seemed like every single Marvel film up until that point had a giant (laughs) spaceship or something floating over and they're going to destroy a city or, or a world or whatever and all of a sudden you end it where the climactic battle is just the two of these guys having a fist fight and they're both really vested in what they're fighting for but what they're fighting for is like so low stakes but it's the end of this friendship which has more yep. stakes than a whole city being squashed or something so it's pretty crazy but that's what i i liked about it sometimes that's why when they go lower stakes i kind of think that that's the direction they should be going in exactly distance. there's a lot yep. of smaller stories to be told right
1: exactly and that's that's what we've talked about you know um, you're you're 100 right you know in terms of you know tony's tony obviously wants to kill um uh, the winter soldier uh you know because he killed his killed his parents yep, but at the same exactly. time it's you know Bucky's cap's friend from growing up and you know he really wasn't in control of himself. He was severed. He was he was severed exactly. <laughs> he was completely severed. And uh you know that's the thing and and it was just it was it was it was an amazing uh it was an amazing movie for that reason and that's that's what I'd like to see a little bit more, you know, when we talk about grounded that's what I would like to see a little bit yeah. more of, you know, stories like that but I think I I don't think you can go back to that. So, yeah, you know, in in the in the grand scheme of things, you know, Moon Knight is as crazy as it is with, with the, with the gods that, you know, you've got these gods now that are controlling people Right. relative to the rest of what's going on in the MCU right now with the multiverse, this is actually a pretty, uh, you know, relatively speaking, it's, it's pretty grounded right now because you're just dealing with this guy who's trying to figure out exactly what's going on and how he can get
0: himself out of this situation, even though, You've got all these mystical elements to it oh that's what kind of what i liked so much about the loki show by the way the stakes are incredibly high like you're you're going beyond the multiverse at this point like it's all of time itself but the stakes seem so personal in that show as well right so i think that's what they kind of got that blend right and maybe the tv shows are going to end up being places like you know we saw hawkeye yeah maybe that's the places we can or if we you know if they do revitalize it seems like people are very excited about daredevil maybe they do do another season of daredevil now that they have them integrated into disney plus so maybe hey why not do another season of that they can do that as well and that could be very low stakes and maybe that's where those type of stories are going to go right you know the the the
1: the sort of mystical aspect of the mcu you know it's not my favorite but at the same time uh when this when this sort of large arc ends, we may be looking back on it and saying, yeah, they did they did a really good job. Although I can't, you know, again, I watched and the funny thing is I watched uh, I think Endgame was on the other night. I watched that again. And I was thinking, I'm like, you know, I can't see you know, you saw all those, you had, you know, 17, 18 movies that all wrapped up nicely into yeah. Endgame. all the characters are in there, you're vested in in every character. And then it's like, all right, well, at the end of this arc, are you going to see every single character that, from all these movies? The or, Eternals. Yeah, well, that's what I was getting at. You know, like, <laughs> do we care? Like, mm-hmm. do we care yeah. what happens to the Eternals? I, you know,
0: I can't. I, 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 You know, I don't. Uh, I completely agree, 100%. And I am, once again, completely skeptical that they can pull this trick off again. But I'll tell you, I remember when that first Thor movie came out, I'm like, I don't know. Thor, I never liked Thor when I was a kid. Yeah. And uh, Chris Helmsworth, uh, you know, they, they even then he was like the butt of the jokes. Like everybody was kind of be like, look at this guy, you know, but he wasn't having that much fun with the role. And I was just kind of like, I don't know. Like, you know, I I didn't mind. I kind of liked him that he was in on the joke. I liked all that stuff, but I just did not like that movie at all. I've never rewatched it after that first time I, I saw it. And I like love Thor now. He's like my favorite character. So you, yeah. you never know what's going to happen 10 years from now, right? When this thing wraps up the next That's phase, true. right? Very true. But, uh, R- Ragnarok... I am very skeptical. I, I watched the Eternals and I'm like, these guys don't know what they're doing right now.
1: <laughs> no, uh, well, Ragnarok saved uh, yeah. saved the Thor character. Yeah. Um, I mean, no, he was good. He was also good though in the Avengers. Uh, yes. Uh, bo- both of the Avengers movies, the, the original and then the Ultron movie. What really got me into his character was was Ragnarok because oh, that still is in my top still top three for me uh, i think MCU. so too i think yeah. So too. yeah it was just funny and a great movie great story and it set everything up and then of course you know at the end it's right before infinity war starts and uh but that that movie really saved that character for me and, it's, and to a certain extent hulk because the hulk movie was yeah. so yeah. freaking horrible <laughs> yeah i agree that you know i, I i've watched that once and I've, that's one I've, I've never watched again i watched no that reason one to watch time that again no yeah reason
0: i'm this of this i'm the same way I, I really prefer these more grounded stories but absolutely one of my absolute favorite is the Ragnarok film like you said and it's also one of the most absolutely bizarre you know he ends up on this garbage planet and like it's just one bizarre thing happening after another but hey I'm in for the ride because I just love those characters i just think it's so funny and uh yeah I just I love it right so there's an example of you know hey if you tell a good story and you entertain me I'm, I'm on board right so exactly and 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 get great actors which yes which they have That's been. very important
1: very important you know the the, the, the actors that they've had in, in the recent installments have been uh excellent i mean not not to say that you know the older mcu movies didn't have great actors either but uh you know even even you know this the moon knight I, I, what, a, what a cast i mean it's yeah. just a great cast yeah. um and what is it f murray abraham is the yeah. uh is the, uh, the voice con- of
0: Khonshu, yeah.
1: Yeah, exactly. It's Academy Award winner. <laughs> exactly. It's like everybody's getting in on the MCU. Oh, everybody.
0: that's, I mean, it's where all the money is, right? It's like there's an old thing that uh, in uh, Law & Order, when Law & Order was in New York City, that all these people who did Broadway shows and, and these people who are very, very well-respected actors, but were like, you know, tending bar when law and order came and they got all these incredible stage actors to play every single role on the show like every random killer every random victim and every single episode it was like just a way to prop up all those actors and eventually some of them actually crossed over and started getting more tv work and stuff like that i feel like that's what's happening with the mcu it's just like all these respectable actors are just like give me that paycheck yeah exactly i'll take that mcu money and then i could go make four or you know i could be like uh mark ruffalo and do these like artsy fartsy things on the side and then i can paid five million dollars to play the hulk that's all that matters exactly he could keep working like that for another decade (laughs) you know it's funny too because i think
1: back you know back when there weren't as many superhero movies we were talking about batman before you know remember when batman came out with michael keaton like there were not many superhero movies before that it was really the christopher reeves superman Superman, 10 years yeah Yeah. and then you had batman and i remember what a huge deal that was when it came out everybody's like oh my god batman's coming out There's a batman movie and um you know, the actors in Hollywood looked down on yep. these types of movies, and now it's like completely flipped now. Everybody Absolutely. wants, everybody wants to flip. be in yeah. them. Yep. I mean, you had Anthony Hopkins in there as, as yep. uh, uh, I almost said Zeus, but
0: um, <laughs> as Odin, you know. And- but you know what? That's why you get these actors, to be honest with you. It's like you get an Oscar Isaac. He may not even get to like really stretch his legs in this role uh, right now but they never know, like 10 years from now, there could be, you know, Moon Knight might be very important to the mythology and you need to, you know, if you're gonna have a whole, uh, you know, earth-shaking moment uh, on this back of of a character, hey, you wanna have a Robert Downey Jr. there at that moment, you got someone like, or which is funny because you have a Robert Downey Jr. who's a whole generation older than like a Chris Helmsworth who was very young at the time. And, but in both cases, these like really, really charismatic guys and you know what? Everybody loves them. You could put them in bad movies and people still turn in to, to watch them. To on watch screen, them.
1: right. Exactly. You know, it's funny too. Like there's so you, you remind me, I'm I'm sure you saw The Martian, right? Yeah. So it's like I was watching that a few weeks ago and and I was watching it with my son and I was like, all right, let's count all the all the characters that were in that are in the MCU that are in this movie, and it's right. like it's an incredible number of yep, incredible exactly. number of people in it. They're all in there. You had Winter Soldier, Mordo. Yeah. You had uh, Wong is in it. Yep. Uh, Donald
0: Donald in yeah. Donald uh, Glover's in it,
1: who was in Spider Man, yep. and then uh, you had uh, uh, what's his name from Ant Man's in it uh, as 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 one of the pilots. It's just like amazing. Yep. There were like I think yep. eight or nine actors from the MCU in the Martian. And, uh, oh, and you had Matt Damon, by shape. the way. Matt
0: Damon, Matt had, Damon had, a, who played, had a cameo, yep. had a cameo yep. in, uh, in one of the uh, yep. Thorbo in, the, in Ragnarok, right? It's the yep. Ragnarok. yep, fake Loki. Yep. And, exactly. uh <laughs> you got you, you could, and I mean that's like a Robert Pattinson model, I think. Where since he made these Eclipse movies, he's yeah. been making, and I mean he's made some great movies, by the way. Like if you ever never saw Good Time, incredible performance in that, so good. But he makes all these little movies, and he just makes really strange. Films too that I mean do not get big audiences. I'm sure his Eclipse fans are not following him to some of these really weird fringe movies he's making. But now he just got paid who knows how much money to make Batman, and he's um, on board for more. So I'm sure that his paychecks is getting bigger and bigger, and he can make as many weird little movies in between that he wants because yeah. hey, he's he's got his uh, his mansions paid off. So yep, yep, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so uh, let's leave it there for now. And uh, we'll uh, pick it up next week. And I'm very curious to see. I hope we see that origin story next week and we'll see where we go. Yeah. Yeah. No, that'll be great. Did you, uh, do you watch Better Call Saul? Yes. Oh, that's And that's coming back on. Yeah. Next week. Yep.
1: And I've actually, speaking of that, I've got to watch the, it's like, you don't have any time for this, but I've got to actually, I've got to watch the last season of it, which is, which is now on Netflix. Just on Netflix. Um, Right. Exactly. So I've got to go back and remember what happened uh, in the last season. And (laughs) But this is it, right? This is the last season. This is the last better. one, right? Yeah.
0: It's a long one though. They're going to do half the season from now through the end of May. Then they take like a month off. Okay. And then they do another like six or seven episodes at the end. So it's it's going to run almost through September with a, like a one month break in the middle. So they're, but, sort, um,
1: of, they're sort of Ozarking us on that.
0: Yeah. Well, you know, they did it first. Breaking bad did it first. And that was. Yeah, they did. You're right.
1: They did do it first. And Mad
0: Men too. I think AMC was the one who first started doing that, where they kind of split that last season to kind of get a little extra juice out of it. In that break, I wonder if the first half of the season catches
1: you up to the beginning of when Breaking Bad started. And then they're gonna have to obviously show what happens to him after you know, post breaking bad and find out. And we've seen
0: those flashbacks. I mean, we've seen those flash, I guess they're flash forwards, right? Exactly. Yeah.
1: And uh, find out what happens with that. That's going to be good. So if you ever if you ever want me to be on for for Call Saul, so I'm more than happy to join What oh, We're going to be doing it week to week. Yeah. So I'll
0: definitely bring you on there too. Yeah. yeah Maybe yeah, we'll no, have that's... a collaborative, we'll have everybody come together. Yeah, no, We'll, we'll have our own end game.
1: <laughs> exactly. <laughs> as long as I'm that cast as one of like the Eternals, I'm good. I,
0: exactly. I'll take, right. I
1: could take like a small part. It's cool. <laughs> that's great. I'm looking forward to it. All right.
0: Sounds good. I All right. Cool. All
1: right, Victor. Take care, man. Go Mets. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm going to go check the check the rest of the game out. All right, cool. All right, take care. Right, bye-bye.